that triathlon show 246. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Marcel Vouda, who is a swim and open water swimming coach from the Netherlands, who has coached and worked with multiple Olympic gold medalists, including the men's gold medalist from Beijing 2008 and both the men's and women's Olympic champions from Rio de Janeiro 2016. We will discuss the training strategies that Marcel uses to prepare his open water swimmers for the demands of that specific type of racing. And he also gives us some advice for regular triathletes who obviously cannot and shouldn't just try to copy what these world-class pure swimmers do. But we will get some advice for our specific situation as well. But before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They create electrolyte products that you can match to how you sweat, meaning that if you are somebody that loses more sodium in your sweat, you can get a stronger electrolyte supplement that contains more sodium. And if you are in the middle or on the low end, then you can choose electrolyte supplements with a sodium concentration accordingly. This is easy because Precision Edition has created a free online sweat test that is just a quiz that takes a couple of minutes to do and that will give you a good ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat and then you can start tailoring your hydration plan based on that information that you'll get. You can get 15% off your order with the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW15 on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka started out as a project to create the fastest possible triathlon wetsuit and uh, this is something that is still at the core of what Roka do as we have seen recently with the launch of the new Maverick X2 wetsuit which uh, I absolutely love. But uh, since then Roka has come a long way and are now leading manufacturers uh, in product categories such as tri-suits, goggles, uh, eyewear for both uh, sports and for casual day-to-day use and so on. So there is really a lot to see in Roka and uh, growth of the company is admirable. And it all comes down to the fact that uh, they really pay attention to all the details and uh, make sure that their products are as good as they can possibly be uh, trying to raise the bar, so to say. You can get 20% off your Roka order with the promo code they can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Marcel Wuda. Welcome to that triathlon show, Marcel. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm well. I just finished uh, up our workout here in the in the pool in Eindhoven, and uh, I'm ready for the podcast. I'm excited. Great. So, what was the session uh, today that you did, or your squad um, did? Yeah, we had a few different things going on. We had the the open water guys doing about seven k this afternoon quite intense um and the pool swimmers they are uh i'm bringing them down quite a bit in volume since we have uh, in two weeks time we have a, a a competition going on here it will be our first official competition so we're quite excited for that and i tried to get them uh 
in a fairly decent shape. We've worked hard over the last weeks. Um, and uh, even though with all the, the corona problems in the world, uh, we've managed to uh, uh, to keep them in the program. So there were, I think, two or three weeks without any pool time. But we find uh, lots of other uh, ways to, to get them engaged. And um, so we've worked hard since January and we're excited to, to, to build, to bring them down uh, towards this competition. So uh, they have not done so much, but the intensity was quite high. Right. And what does the season or the season from now on uh, or seasons until the Olympics next year uh, look like? What sort of uh, championship races and uh, other races are on the calendar as as it seems at this moment when we're uh, talking late July? Yeah, well, um, I'm running two programs uh, here in Eindhoven and one is an open water swimming program. And one is a pool swimming program, and they have quite a different uh, periodization. And um, the pool swim, uh, the pool program has a, a meet in two weeks. Then I give them a week off, and then we start building up towards December, and that is our Olympic qualification, uh, and also our qualification meet for the European Championships that they are they will be held in Budapest in May twenty twenty one. Um, and from there on, we'll we'll focus towards the Olympics. So that's pretty much the, the the road to follow. The open waters, it's a little bit similar. We work towards December because we have decided to uh, um, do the qualification for the European Championships in Budapest in the pool, since most of the open water swimming competitions of that have any good level of athletes are cancelled we have no real way of testing them if they um, no real way of selecting them so we've decided to uh, have some uh, um, qualification criteria in the pool so uh, they can qualify for the uh, um, european open water championships they are also in budapest next year in may and of course, we have the Olympic Championships, but um, the open water have all the qualification process for that in open water has already been finalized last year at the World Championships in Guangzhou. So um, we have one swimmer going to that event. All right. And uh, can you give us a little bit more of an introduction to yourself? What is your background? How did you end up in swimming and then in swimming coaching? Yes, I can. I certainly can. I've uh, been a competitive swimmer for um, over 20 years. And in 2000, after my third Olympic Games, I decided to uh, retire. And um, I was an uh, individual medley specialist. So I was a specialist in all the strokes. And my best uh, performance uh, performances, I think, were uh, winning a bronze medal in the uh, four by 200 freestyle uh, uh, relay with a Dutch uh, team in, in in the Sydney Olympics. And uh, I broke the world record once in the 400 IM, 400 individual medley in the short course. So that was uh, my big highlight as a swimmer. And uh, after that, I um, was out of the sport for about two years, uh, not completely, but not involved as much. Um, and in that two years, I discovered that I really had a passion for coaching as well. 
So I got my coaching degree, my coaching license, and uh, uh, starting in uh, in October 2002, I became a swimming coach. And um, the first four years, I was a coach in the, um, the the national junior team in the Netherlands. And from 2006 up to this day, I've been coaching in uh, in Eindhoven in the high performance center. And the last uh, four years, I've been the head coach of this high performance center. So that's pretty much my, 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 uh, uh, coaching career. And one of the, the focus in my programs is, uh, one part has always been open water swimming. So I was uh, the coach of, uh, uh, Martin van der Weyden, who won the Olympic uh, gold medal in 2008. And, uh, in 2016, I was coaching a very weird man. Uh, he was also the Olympic champion in, uh, in, in 2016. And I played an important part with the preparation for uh, Sharon van Rauendaal. And she was, uh, she won, she was also Olympic champion in the 10K with the women in 2016. So we've been quite successful as a country in open water swimming. Yeah, that, that's why I contacted you. I, I wanted to to talk with some uh, an open water swimming coach, and I started looking at which coaches have had a lot of success recently, and uh, it was uh, pretty easy to find you from from that. So, congratulations on on that. Uh, Thank you. I want to ask you about the the setup you have there with having both the pool swimming squad and the open water squad in Eindhoven. Uh, I imagine that now it might look a little bit different because of Corona, but normally how does it work having these two setups are a lot of the sessions or the the workouts done together or is it different the way you described it today there was a bit of a different workout for the two groups and and also how often do the open water swimmers go and actually swim in the open water rather than in the pool and so on um yeah we in the past so leading up to 2016 uh we had quite a bit of work together and also in the now well up to 2018 but in the last two years we found that um, the programs are are a lot different because of uh, different requirements to the periodization um, especially um, to have them prepared well for uh, the tokyo olympic games we've started some special projects that uh, are maybe interesting to talk a little bit about later but um um, so the, the the programs are quite dif- different now. So they don't they train at the same hours, and every now and then we do a workout together. But that's more of a coincidence than um, uh, than than that we have planned it. Um, I think uh, I have two assistant coaches, and uh, one is fully dedicated also to the open water swimming uh, program. So I work with him a lot. So uh, he does a lot of um, uh, he does a lot of the the workouts at the moment, um, and I divide my attention between pool swimming and open water swimming. So uh, I mix that up. Um, you also asked me if they swim a lot outdoors. Um, no, they don't. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I think that um, most. And that's a little bit how I feel about open water swimming is that uh, one part of the sport is building a huge aerobic base. And I think you can do that in any sort of water. So you can do that in a pool or in a 
in an open water environment. Uh, however, I feel that the pool is a lot more controlled, uh, is a lot more controlled environment. So you can, uh, you have a lot more control about the variables. So you are better as a coach, you're better able to direct their training and their, their process. So uh, I don't do a lot of open water uh, training. Uh, it's, it changes a lot uh, when we have competitions that have uh, special requirements in open water. So for the, uh, the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio, um, I, um, I be, like two years before the race, I've, uh, I've made my plans and I um, came across a, cu- a few key factors that I thought were really important for the performance. And one of that was uh, dealing with the tidal uh, changes. Since Rio has tides, you have to deal with that. And that uh, every every different tide has different currents. Uh, the, there was a lot. Uh, the, the, there was a lot of different possibilities about the, the height of the waves. So if you have a lot of uh, winds, you have high waves in the Copacabana. So we ch- we we practiced a lot with uh, the different wave wave heights, and we also practiced a lot in the different temp- temperatures because the water could range from eighteen to twenty two, twenty three degrees, and that's quite a a big difference for an athlete. So. I indicated those key performance factors, and we've uh, we we built them in our program quite a bit. Well, if you look to Tokyo, then we have a, a very easy setting uh, at the moment. It might change, uh, but how the situation is right now is that it's really flat, quite warm, and uh, uh, no currents. So that's that does not require a lot of uh, uh, training in open water. Of course, we do some, but not so much. Mm. And what does that mean, doing some, but not so much? Is it uh, something that you do a couple of times per week? And uh, is that only in the sort of last couple of months before the race? Or is it even less or slightly more than that, if you can give a rough uh, indication? Yeah, I can. We... um, it's definitely not a couple times a week. Um, we have uh, indicated a few periods throughout the season where we take them on a on a camp. Um, for example, uh, in September, when we or end of August, after the after we have a week of break, we have a two week camp, and then we take them for two weeks. We have eighty percent of the work is done outdoors. So. We have planned for 85 kilometers a week. So that means that almost 60 of those kilometers will be done uh, in the lake or in the rivers. Um, and uh, so for that, then we have a block with a lot of open water swimming just to uh, keep practicing those open water skills. Then I think in November, we have another block of three weeks where we go to a location where we do about, say, 20% of the work outdoors. So 20% of the work is outdoors and 80% is uh, in the pool. Right. And uh, about the open water skills, uh, am I right in assuming that for most swimmers, they, they don't really start out thinking they'll be an open water swimmer, but it's something that happens over time as they realize that, 
their real strength is in the on the endurance side of things and they have a massive diesel engine basically so so when somebody makes a transition uh, to open water swimming from focusing on pool swimming how long does it take them to get used to the specific demands of open water swimming and learning the skills that are required for for that and how do you help them with that is it do they do more open water swimming at the beginning to just gain those skills or what are the strategies you use um a, a lot of questions but i'll, I'll try to start out uh, um, at, at the beginning of your questions and please uh, correct me if uh, if i go too far off topic um your first question is about athletes that um, at the start of their career, they don't really start with the idea of being an open water swimmer. And I think that is true, especially in this, uh, in present time, eh? we, we see that due to the sport becoming an Olympic sport in 2008, we have seen a lot of development in the, in the sport of open water swimmer. In the beginning, it, were, it was pretty much athletes that were not successful in the pool they made the transition to open water swimming. Um, and what we see now, especially with the, the, the men's, men's swimming, is that we have extremely talented pool swimmers that are world champion in the pool as well, are also swimming in open water. So we're getting better and better swimmers in the open water uh, races. I think that's a very good uh, development. Um, so... Um, so that is changing a bit. So that also in our program in the Netherlands, we are also changing the way we look for talent. So right now in the very young ages, we look for athletes that have a good 200 and 400 meter speed and um, like the endurance part of the swimming. So uh, when we have those swimmers, we try to slowly get them familiar with the sport of open water swimming um the way i've done it in the past and uh, uh still with two new boys that we just uh, entered in our program is that um once they are around 17 18 the end of their junior period they need a they have they need some time for the transition to the senior level there's not many swimmers that make the step from the junior level to the senior level in one season. So what I've done with those athletes is I've decided to uh, to sit down with them and say, uh, well, um, especially if they are 400 or 1500 meter athletes, say, let's take a year out of your program and focus a bit more on the open water. Because we can do a lot of volume in the pool and uh, it will help your development in the 400 and the 1500 as well. And it will also give you a good goal for this season to focus on. And from there on, we go back to it. If we build that foundation, then we have a good base to build either towards open water or back to the 400 and the 1500 meter in the pool. So that's how I really try to get the swimmers involved in open water swimmers swimming. And some of them uh, feel they really love the sport of open water swimming. And some of them uh, still uh, like the pool better. Um, 
what we do in that year is we pretty much do a lot of volume. I think that an open water swimmer needs to be able to do uh, between 80 and 100 kilometers a week uh, without breaking down too much. So if I get them in the program, our goal is always within a year, they need to be able to do that amount of work. So all our or all, all our activities and work is focused uh, towards achieving that goal. Um, besides that, uh, in that year, we put a lot of emphasis on uh, the open water skills. And I think uh, you, you need to be successful in open water. You need the physiological uh, uh, side of things that uh, needs to be developed, but also uh, the skill side of things. And I think there's there's a, a few technical skills, like turning around uh, buoys, uh, swimming in a pack, uh, approaching a, a finish, approaching a, a drinking pontoon, um, learning to read a, a course uh, in, in terms of uh, currents during the course uh, and, and, and changing currents during the course, um, reading. But the, 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 the other part is more the mental side of the race because whereas swimming is a very individual sport, you do that in the pool and you have no contact with others. You're completely in charge of your own performance in open water. It's a contact sport and uh, other swimmers can have a big influence on your performance, on the outcome of your performance. So I think swimming in the pack and especially dividing your energy over the the one hour 50 two hour period that's a very very mental uh, skill that they need to need to master and they need they need some experience for that they need to swim a few races in order to do that well mm. so it is mostly through races that you that you try to to build that experience and build those skills then or do you focus at additionally on maybe even doing some open water skill work in the pool uh, or just having more training camps with open water in that first year oh we do all we do we do all sorts of things um currently we have five swimmers in the open water group and once a week we have them swimming in a pack in the pool and all different positions and uh you know we film those positions and we confront them with the choices they make in those uh, in those uh, in the changes during the pack um we 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 do a lot of distance on different intervals or in on different speeds swimming speeds so they really have to be aware of how to divide their energy it's so easy to make learning experience to create learning experiences during uh, practice so yeah we we create a lot of chances during the week in which we put them in a learning a position of course uh, we we only have a few uh, a few um, moments uh, during a whole season where everything comes together um, but we uh, and that's that 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 are the world cups because most other competitions the level is not high enough enough but we have three or four competitions where everything comes together and that we have a, a pack that is of high quality enough so they can really put their skills to the test 
but during the normal season we yeah we create we we have all those situations that can occur in the race we bring them to the practice either in the pool in situations or even in the weight room you can do situations or on dry land or even in in, in open water training yeah yeah that's that makes sense and uh, can you give an example or an overview of what a typical training week might look like for the open water swimmers? And uh, let's say we're in sort of, we're not that close to any races, but maybe three months out from when you want to peak for a race or something. So still uh, building that base, so to say. And uh, what, yeah, what would a typical training week look like? Well, maybe it's 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 a good idea or better idea to to start out with my uh, vision about sure. how to yeah. train for open water swimming because that yes. will um, that will help a lot in in when how when I explain uh, how my weeks look like. So um, I started with a with a Maarten van der Weyden in uh, 2006, and he came to me and he said, uh, "I want you to be an open my open water coach." And I said, "Well, I don't know anything about open water swimming." He said, true, but you're the only coach in the Netherlands working with 1,500-meter swimmers. And I think to be faster in open water, my 1,500-meter speed needs to improve. So um, we started doing that. And uh, after a half year, he was swimming a lot faster in the 1,500. But his 10K performance did not change. So that time after the world championships of 2007 in melbourne i sat down and started to really think uh, about open water swimming and what it is and i there that's when i developed my ideas and what i think open water swimming is is that it is a it, it's an an hour fi- an hour and 50 minutes performance and if you look at the international results then all the big meets have always been decided in the last 10 or 15 minutes. So the, the 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 pack, a group of swimmers start a race, they stay together for an hour and 35 minutes, and then the final of the race starts. So I decided that the 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 easier uh, the 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 better you get through that first hour and 35 minutes the more you have left for those last 15 minutes for the final, which is a very easy idea, of course. Um, so what we are trying to do, uh, I find out that the average speed in that first block is about 106 um, pace per 100 meters. So they go one, one minute, six seconds for every 100 meter. And in the final, it drops down to, uh, maybe 105, 104, and in the last last 50 meters, they go even under 30 seconds. So if you look at the energy systems needed for that, then I think the most dominant energy system is the aerobic capacity. So your ability to, to um, burn uh, uh, carbohydrates to glycogen and fatty acids in a very efficient way is extremely important for that first hour and a half part of your race. So we do a lot of basic aerobic work just to build that that kind of base. And we found that if we if they are, if if we get them to the level where they can easily sit, swim that pace, 
they have a lot of speed left for the last part of the race. So the other side that we do, we try to build a lot of anaerobic capacity. So they really have overspeed. So what the, dis- the difference is between my program and a lot of other programs is that my program, my swimmers can pace really easy at 105, 106, and then they can uh, uh, turn the engine on and they can do 100 at 55 or 54 seconds. The other programs, those swimmers are really good at pacing at uh, 101 or 102 per 100. And when they put on the engine at the, at the last 100 meters, they drop down to 58. So uh, I create swimmers with a huge range, uh, speed range. And most other programs create swimmers with a fairly narrow speed uh, range. Um, having said that, um, a lot of my work in the beginning of the season, about, I think, uh, uh, 90%, 95% of the work is done in a very low intensity aerobically uh, not so much rest i think we go about uh, 80 85 kilometers um and we have about uh, 10 to 12 kilometers in the morning and uh, seven to eight kilometers in the afternoon um so in the first part of the season we do a lot of easy aerobic work a lot of technique work because i think that Uh, the more energy you save with a better stroke, the more energy you have left at the end of the race to really turn the engine on. Uh, And besides that, we do a lot of, uh, um, we do the the rest of the work, about 5% is all speed oriented. So some sprint speeds, uh, say 15 or 20 meters. So that lasts, uh, say, between six and 10 seconds. And we do some, uh, 50 uh, meter work uh, all based on swimming efficiency so stroke counts somewhere between 80 and 85 percent um, um, indication of effort um, just to build that anaerobic capacity so that's pretty much how our base work uh, looks like and once we get a little bit further in the season uh, i try to address that um, that pace speed so we have twice a week so in the middle of the season say three months out we do twice a week we have a pace set where i try to have them on 105 106 per hundred and for about uh, 90 minutes so they really are in a long they have a long session where they are in competition pace and uh, the rest of the work is all uh, low aerobic work because if i feel if i feel that if i if the intensity gets too high in the aerobic work i really break them down and they lose their speed so then in the in the in the final preparation towards the competition um i really try to bring the speed up to um i have a i have a few specific race specific sets where i start out around competition speed so the 104 105 106 range and that builds all the way up to usually it's an hour and a half uh, set 7k 8k and that builds towards uh, maximum speed in the last uh, 15 minutes so they really built that 
aerobic power for the last uh, last part of the race. So that's pretty much how I built the season. Well, that's a wonderful breakdown of uh, what the season looks like and uh, your coaching philosophy. Uh, a couple of follow-up questions. Uh, the first one is uh, when you say there in the first part, the early part of the season where you do 95% aerobic work, would that be what you call low aerobic or would it be more middle <clears throat> to high aerobic work? Well, I would classify that as low aerobic work. Um We work a lot with uh, Jan Obrecht, the Belgium um, physiologist. Uh, he does a lot of lactate uh, testing for our team, and um, we work according his uh, training philosophy. And so I would um, let me take a sip of water. If you in the, in the, in the meantime, I'll tell the listeners that uh, haven't been listening to the podcast for that long that Jan Olbrich is a past guest of the podcast. So you, I'll link to to that in the show notes for this episode. Okay, okay, good to know. Good to know. Yeah, we worked we work a lot with him. We had them. We had him here yesterday for some lactate testing. So uh, it's always very interesting to to talk and to speak with him and uh, to discuss uh, swimming. But anyways, most of my work is done around um lactate one 1.5 i think that is um very basic work for him um my aim is that he sh lactate two should be around his competition speed so mm. that's a very low lactate level and i'm i know that if he can do that then he has a huge they have a solid base a huge base to really Then they cruise towards the first part of the race. So um, that's my aim. So most of the work is done around lactate one, lactate one, one and a half. And if you translate that to uh, speeds, swimming speeds, it's about between 113 and 116 uh, of continuous pace per 100 meter. Yeah. And uh, since they're swimming 106 105 106 for the first 95 minutes of the race i assume that uh, that lactate one to one uh, 1.5 is something that they basically can hold for many hours of continuous swimming if if needed so yeah we have idea. yeah we have three hours in the morning um in the in the early part of the season and i, I bring them up to 12k uh where and uh, because i think that they need to be two two and a half hours on that they should be able to maintain that 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 pace for two two and a half hours in, mm -hmm. in the past i also had a 25 uh, a kilometer swimmer and uh, i've been up to 140 kilometers a week with him and uh it, yeah i think his our main goal for him was to hold the 115s for four hours so we really uh, you know we really stretched that if necessary Mm. and uh, when you do those base aerobic workouts and uh, aerobic sets what might that look like just in terms of a little bit how long are the uh, are the repetitions that you're doing and um, are you using a lot of uh, tools as well or is it mostly just basic swimming up and down the lane yeah that's good good question um usually we have a long session we have two long sessions a week where they go, um, say, four, uh, four times two and a half thousand meters. 
Um, so it's and with a 30 to 40 second rest, and uh, there might be some um, some breath control uh, exercises in there. There might be some use of uh, pedals in there, um, but all all very easy um, easy work. And uh, sometimes we do uh, uh, a four kilometer, a three kilometer, a two kilometer, and we we use the the, the feeding pole to to, to uh, halfway down the four kilometers to have to fed to feed them because it's an excellent opportunity for them to drink and to learn how to deal with that. Uh, we also sometimes uh, swim in a pack. So we do a three, uh, three times three kilometers and every three kilometers have it has a different uh, pack setting. So they swim in a line or in a V shape or in a diamond shape um, just to, to practice different things. So um, then we have two sessions a week and we call that strength endurance. Um, and I think it's a little bit misleading in the way of uh, terminology, but I think that a, a big part of open water swimming is that they have, if you swim in open water, it's, it costs a little bit more energy than swimming in the pool. So I think the, and the, the aerobic endurance, the strength part of side things is really important. So twice a week we have, say uh four four hundreds with pedals and then i have them wearing a t-shirt uh, so i just add a little bit of drag not too much just to do a little bit you know a little bit they have to do work a little bit harder just to get a little bit more strength in that stroke but not too much um uh, but also quite long distances so they do 400s to 800s not as ex as long as the long sessions where they do like two or three thousand, but more. That's a, up to a thousand meters, and often that is um, um, uh, alternated with the use of uh, a propeller. We um, the propeller is a device that is dragging behind you, and it rotates and it creates drag. Um, and the faster you swim, the higher the drag because it starts to rotate faster. So, um, and it really gives you a continuous um, drag during your stroke. So you have to really work hard to uh, to to finish your stroke. But I do it at quite low intensities, also to stay. Uh, if you look at the physiology, I stay in that lactate one, lactate one point five range. But I add a little bit, they need a little bit more strength in their stroke. Yeah. And one of the key work, as you mentioned, there was uh, closer to the race when you're doing the progressive swim, working up to finishing at a high intensity, basically race finish speed. Uh, do you do, in addition to that, what sort of other high intensity training might you be doing? Do you have a, a later on in the season? You mentioned the sprints already, of course, but do you also do things like like basically what we might call threshold work or VO2 max work or those sorts of workouts? Or, or is it all geared towards the specificity of the race, the way you describe it with the, the long race pace workout and then the, the progressive one building up to race finishing speed as well? Yeah, that's pretty much the most work we do. We do, you know, in the second part of the season, we build up towards lactate two, lactate three. 
and we see that uh, due to the huge volumes in the week, say 80, 85 kilometers, and uh, if we put a little bit more intensity, they are or they they get quite easy in the part where you develop aerobic uh, power, or they go quite quickly to their threshold. So their threshold will be around two point five three lactate. So you know they are they get there quite quickly. Um, we do some we do some work of that. Um, um, last week we did a, a, a five four hundred, uh, starting at lactate two, building up to lactate four, and you see they get to heart rates of about one hundred sixty to one hundred and eighty. So that's quite that is definitely um, um, aerobic uh, uh, overload or aerobic endurance or threshold. Um, but we don't do that too much. We don't do that too much. Um, I think we more work with the contrast uh, sets. So um, earlier this week, I had them doing uh, four 400s around lactate one, going directly in 450s, where they had to go, say, um, uh, 27 on a long course, uh, count strokes, really efficient, fast swimming. So I really work on the, the those two ends of the spectrum. Yep, yep, okay. And you mentioned there the testing, the lactate testing you do. Uh, is that, uh, can you des- describe a bit more how you do that? Is it a traditional sort of seven or eight step ramp test, 200 perhaps, or, or maybe, well, for your swimmers, maybe they're longer ramps. Uh, do you do any other testing? Do you do sort of time trials in the pool or any sort of efficiency testing or using even devices that are now out on the market that you can do sorts of different technical testing and so on? Yeah. Um, yeah, we do some tests, but um, the lactate test to start with that is um, um, not the uh, traditional step tests that most uh, most athletes use. Um, because if you do a step test with the next step, you always take the um, the effort of the previous repetition with you towards the next one. With so the results are pretty much a combination of a lot of different factors. Um, we work with Jan Olbrecht, and he has uh, his test protocol is based on four individual swims. One is a 400 meters, one is a 200 meters, one is 150 meters, and one uh, and one swim is 100 meters. Then we have a, a an, an extra swim that's 100 all uh, 100 max max effort, so five swims in total. Uh, but his 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 simulation is based on the first four, and he has so much data that for each swim he can uh, after each swim you get your lactate tested uh, two times and the, the he can uh, with all the data he has in the model he has developed for each of those uh, swims he can he builds an, an individual lactate curve and then he looked he looks at the relation between the four curves and that relation uh, uh, says something about the the aerobic capacity and the anaerobic capacity um, then the 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 then he has some other uh, uh, he looks at some other parameters and he can also say something then about the aerobic power um, 
and the anaerobic power that is mostly done by using the hundred the like the maximum lactate in the hundred max. Um, so it's not your traditional step test. It's really a very uh, uh, um, easy tests because all the sub all the distances are done between lactate 2.5 and 6 so um and after each uh each distance the swimmer gets out of the pool gets his lactate uh, uh, taken and then after a few minutes he worms down between two and 400 meters and then we go on to the next uh, distance um, so that's how we determine the lactate curve of the uh, or the the, the 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 aerobic capacity and the anaerobic capacity of the athletes. Um, other testing that we do, we try to do it a lot really practical. So we do a lot of work with um, uh, stroke counts. Um, we do a lot of uh, uh, filming in the pool, um, and uh, that we have some other. Um, we do a few other things in on in the in the, in the strength uh, room, like uh, uh, jump uh, jump testing and pull up testing. Uh, we have a, a weekly screening uh, uh, with our physiotherapist. He does the the movement screens, um, and we we keep it quite simple. Our idea is that uh, whatever we test uh, is we need to be able to use that to control or to direct our training process. Uh, for the pool swimmers, we do a lot more, but for the open water swimmers, we keep it quite simple. And uh, yeah, my wish is my wish for the future is to to start using the devices for uh, stroke rate, um, stroke distance, and speed. And they are getting quite um, reliable at the moment. So I think that after this Olympics, we start using those. Right, yeah. And uh, just uh, to clarify for the listeners, you mentioned aerobic and anaerobic power, and uh, that would basically mean the ability of the athlete to uh, sustain a high percentage of their aerobic and anaerobic capacity, uh, respectively. So that's the difference between between power and, and capacity. Yes, uh, exactly. That clear. Yeah, exactly. And, and and you mentioned earlier that you want to have so you work on the ranges of speed uh so basically uh, you said that you want a high anaerobic capacity and a high aerobic capacity to be able to swim the first 95 minutes easy and then still be able to really really push when it matters in the last 15 minutes yeah and that is a, a fine balance i guess because you could also uh, with Jan Olbrecht's work which i'm quite familiar with uh, he talks about the balance of how you can basically increase your uh, your aerobic power, for example, by decreasing your your anaerobic capacity. But then that works a bit against your philosophy. So you really work, I guess, towards maximizing both of them. And can you talk a little bit more about how that balance works? Because that must be quite uh, quite tricky, I imagine. It is. It is. Um... Towards the 2016 Olympics, um, I worked with Ferry, and we had uh, uh, about five weeks out. We did our last lactate uh, testing, and we measured him on uh, a VO2 of 96 and uh, um, a, a VLA, so uh, the anaerobic capacity on 1.1. 1. 1. Um, and those... That's those are extremely high values, extremely high for athletes, for swimmers. So, uh, and that is definitely not something you want for an open water swimmer. 
because this swimmer is able to burn carbohydrate or glycogen extremely extre at extremely high rate uh, aerobically as well as anaerobically so that means you pretty much have has an athlete that during the race uh, he can turn if, if if he can turn up and he can turn on the engine and really really speed up but he also if he does that he burns up a lot of energy so the 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 way to to control that is we really we really hammered him down in the last uh, three weeks with aerobic uh, power work just to get that vla that that anaerobic capacity down so one of our coaching philosophies is that is is uh, is reversibility and with that i mean that everything that you um built you can also purposely break down so we can build a really high capacity but if it's too high we can do a different form type of training just to to bring that anaerobic capacity down again a little bit so um but once it's really low uh, at, at a really low value it's really high to develop so that's why i'm also trying to really bring those capacities up because it's easier to bring them down than to build them if they are really low at the ground and really low capacities it's really hard to 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 you have to be really careful and train train really slowly and then little bit little by little you get those capacities rolling again but if they're high you can just hammer them down really with really tough work and it was also the period where we had to do uh, 400 meters and we did five 400 meters start on four minute 30 and he had to do uh for 12 for 13 um uh, uh in the long course so that's really that those are tough sets for him yeah that, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying there that it's much easier to to bring the capacities down than than bring them up and it uh reminds me of uh, what we see in cycling we have seen olympic medalists on uh, cycling track events go to road cycling and become tour de france winners for example yeah. but we don't see the other uh, the other way around happening and we no. won't see that either so and also what you mentioned there with having both the extremely high vo2 max and a vla max there is something that uh, is kind of Another analogy to cycling would be the the sprinters in uh, the best sprinters in the world would have to have both a very high aerobic capacity to be able to to get to the the last part of the race in yeah. the first place, but then also the high high anaerobic capacity to be able to to win win the race and cross the finish line first. Whereas somebody who is a, a, a general classification contender who doesn't need to actually cross the finish line first in the in the sprint stages but can be strong in the mountains and just uh, go at their diesel engine all day they don't necessarily yeah. need even that same aerobic capacity because they can just have a, a high aerobic power and they will be and they will won't be using as much carbohydrate because their anaerobic capacity is, is so low so so that the balance depends on what you're training for but it's really interesting to hear how you use that balance with the open water swimmers that are still training for an, an event that is almost two hours long yeah, exactly. Uh, a couple of other questions there. You mentioned uh, doing some work in the gym, some testing there with uh, uh, jumping. Uh, just generally, what sort of dry land training are you implementing in your program? Um, quite easy. Um, we think that the 
for open water swimming, the pool time is the most important uh, aspect of their training. So all other training forms are um, uh, geared towards assisting, uh, uh, um, towards building their body and keeping their body fit so they can do the work in the pool. So uh, I hope that makes a little bit sense. So it's really, it's, our dry land program is complementing our swimming program. So it's it, it, it should be geared towards um, injury um, um, uh, uh, um, what is the word there? Uh, Prevent, prevention, prevention. Injury yeah, prevention. Exactly. Injury prevention. Um, we do, uh, because there's a lot of uh, repetition, especially in the shoulder area, and you easily get injuries there. So we really, really try to work on, on stabilizing that shoulder uh, in, in the dry lens. Uh, the, the other part is that I think that... Um, the, the 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 nature of the, the the open water sport is is there's a lot of contact happening during the race so i think they need a huge core stability to maintain their position because you don't want to you don't want to have a a, 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 um, a soft core because somebody just comes alongside and pushes you away you need to be able to maintain your position and a good core stability will help you achieve that so a lot of core stability also our our uh, strength session is is in the first part of the development of the athlete it was more geared towards getting them a little bit stronger uh, but once we've achieved the level that we are happy with it gear it's more it's much more geared towards um a lot of complex issues where balance is the key uh, factor so and in order to maintain that balance once again you need to activate your core a lot in order to complete the exercises so that's pretty much the 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 the, the aim in our pro in our in dryland program perfect and uh, would you mind giving maybe two or three examples of the uh, core just a couple of examples of core exercises that uh, are used a lot in your program and maybe a couple of shoulder stability exercises that are used a lot um yes we do we do a lot of uh, especially for uh core but also for shoulder we do a lot uh on the red cord system i don't know if you're familiar with that but um, um no the red cord system is a system um where you um yeah, it's red cords. You are basically suspended in air, um, and you can do all kinds of exercises there. So you have to use your your balance a lot, but you can also uh, incorporate a, a, a Swiss ball. Uh, you can do all kinds of movements. Uh, so where you have to and stabilize your shoulder joints, but also um, stabilize your body. Uh, the other things that we do a lot is uh, on the on, on maybe the bozu ball uh do like squats with a ball uh, with throwing a ball um so you get a lot of instability around the ankles and if you do the the, the squat maybe the one legged uh squat uh, you have to keep your balance and if you com combine that with a throwing of a, a medicine ball you get a little bit of a, a, a strength uh, a, a element in there so really try to do to look to use those kind of uh, exercises mm. um 
every morning we start on deck with uh, with some dry land and uh, one session is uh, more geared towards the fascia so really keep the body smooth and long movements we have a session that is geared towards shoulder uh, stability so we do a little bit of planking but not so much not not long sessions but in all kinds of rot- uh, rot- planking with rotations, one-handed, uh, on one arm or one leg, those kinds of uh, yeah exercises. Right, yeah. I looked up the red cord and uh, it looks uh, kind of similar to TRX. So I think the general uh, name uh, of that type of training would be suspension training. So that's the, just for the listeners, yes, that seems to be what it is. Yeah, but the TRX is more of a, um, we use the TRX more as a handle where you do all kinds of uh, exercise with, but the the red cords goes up to, um, you can put up to, I think, eight suspensions points on the body. Um, And the most, uh, the the most, uh, the, the system that is the most, complicated this is yeah this is where you almost completely hang in the in the red cord system and uh our our, our physiotherapist uh, really works on movement control movement patterns patterns it's quite quite interesting actually yeah yeah i see some photos where it, yeah a lot of uh different contact points and suspension with different cords so yeah it looks looks very interesting um all right uh, one more question we already talked a little bit about the tools that you used in the pool you mentioned using some uh, some paddles uh, and uh, some uh, resistance devices the propeller and even t-shirts uh, do you use what are some other tools that you might use if any that you think are good and useful uh, for example think, are you using things like the snorkel fins etc Oh yes, we use a lot of uh, we do a lot with the snorkel. Um, um, however, um, I think that uh, in the beginning of the season we use a lot of the snorkel, but in the middle and the second and the last part of the season we also bring a lot of exercises for um, for for breathing patterns. So I want them to be able to breathe on both sides. And in open water swimmer, every two or three strokes, you lift your head in order to see where you are. And there's a lot of different methods how to do that. Because I see some athletes that really lift their head by pushing down uh, their hand downwards. Well, if you do that, you lose a lot of propulsion. And uh, of course, it's really easy to lift your head, but you lose a lot of swimming efficiency. So, uh, and so we try to incorporate that in the middle or the end of the season because we found that if we do that, if we don't do that and they start to race, they really get tied in their their uh, their uh, upper uh, body, the backside of their upper body, and uh, we lose a lot of uh, um, um, movement uh, in that area. So they really stiffen up. Um, so I'm I'm I use snorkels, but I'm also a little bit. Uh, careful that I need them to be able to breathe on both sides. Um, I use fins quite a bit for technical development for kicking sets. Um, also, I use fins for swimming a little bit uh, over speed. So it's really easy to do 
uh, a lactate 1, 1.5 set uh, on higher speeds if you use fins. And so they get the, the, the neuro patterns, the, mo- the, the, the motor parents, pedder, the, motor, the motor parents patterns. Uh, to, I want that. I want to to address that. So they 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 swim easily at a one hundred one pace uh, without putting too much effort in that. So that's why I use fins as well, especially in the middle part of the season. Um, I use the the what I quite like is the um, stretch cords. So I put them on the stretch cords for maybe uh, uh, five times three minutes. So we, that's, I think, another example of a strength endurance exercise. Uh, of course, I, I mostly do that on a low intensity. Um, and um, if, they, if I feel they get tired, worn down too much, I also um, do some um, 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 swimming with the stretch cord so assisted uh, sprinting for 20 25 meters just to get those motor motor patterns up again and uh, i want them to be able to swim fast at all times yeah final question before we go into the rapid fire question and this one is uh the majority of the listeners of this podcast are uh, age group triathletes they might be swimming three or four times per week actually four times per week would probably be a lot for the majority of the listeners but anyway let's assume that we have listeners that are swimming three to four times per week and uh, they're working towards uh, quite often it would be a half or a full ironman so 1900 meters or 3800 meters uh, before they move on with the rest of the triathlon uh, with that sort of much more limited time to spend in the pool in the water uh, do you have any pieces of advice that uh, that our listeners can take home and that might help them make their training in the in the pool more effective or in the open water for that matter yeah work on your technique uh, i see a lot of triathletes um, with a not so good swimming technique and they use up so much energy at the beginning of their triathlon and and they 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 need that energy for biking and running and also um use a lot i i would spend some time if you have limited time swimming i would you will you eh, sorry i lose myself there i will use a lot of time on uh um uh, flexibility um shoulder stability because we see that a lot of, of of triathletes are really tight in the upper body because of the running and the biking so they lose uh they they don't move so easily in the in the shoulders and that it takes up a lot of energy for them to get going so i would put a lot of effort there i think that's an easy method of getting better um so work on your technique on your um uh flexibility your movability um and i think also um i would uh, their aerobic capacity is probably developed really good because of the the running and the, and and the, and the biking so I would be I would try to do some speed work in the in the water if you have limited time because that's the easiest way to swim faster. If you do a little bit aerobic work, easy aerobic work, if you use some speed work and some technique work, you have a, a good balance to actually get faster. 
Yeah, that's that's really good advice. And when it comes to the technique work, uh, what I would probably suggest is to get a video analysis. I think is the the best way to get started on improving your technique and actually be able to see what you're doing uh, from in with all angles with both uh, above water and underwater footage, uh, which is pretty easy to get with uh, GoPros these days. Yeah, so, definitely. so that would be that would be my uh, my recommendation. But do you have any anything in particular that you want to mention when it comes to improving technique? Yeah, the using of video is is really really easy. Especially uh, most of the phones, the new phones are are also waterproof, so it's quite quite everybody can do a video analysis. I also think that um, especially now, you know, there's a lot of coaches swimming coaches that probably have a bit more time and uh, try to get some some personal coaching from a swimming coach uh, they can really help you and, uh, um, and also uh, get uh, have have get a physiotherapist uh, to look at your movement patterns in your shoulders you know if you're really tight and confined there it might be he might have some exercises for you that really opens up your shoulder area and that makes swimming so much more easier because it should be smooth and easy and that if you can start your triathlon in that way you have a lot more to 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 burn in the in the cycling and in the running parts yeah uh, great advice again now let's move into the rapid fire questions so with these ones uh, just a one short one sentence answer and the first question is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to swimming or endurance sports? Um, Jan Albrecht's uh, book. Science of Winning. We'll link Science to that. Science of Winning. And uh, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Pedals. And what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Uh, determination never ever ever give up perfect uh finally are there any places where the listeners can follow you perhaps social media or i do i don't think you have a website i couldn't find one but uh, please uh, let us know if there are any places where, where you can be followed um they can always uh, if they have specific uh, questions they can always uh, contact me you have my uh contact info so if they go toward to uh, through you feel free to share my email address uh it's marcel.bauda at knzb.nl so feel free to join that to 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 share that i am okay. on instagram and on twitter but not very active okay i'll put the email in the show notes and that's very generous okay. of you to uh, to give it out so uh thank you for that and uh, thank you for taking taking the time to to share your knowledge with us. I've learned a ton. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, I'm sure that the listeners will. So uh, much appreciated. Thank you, Marcel. Okay. Thank you very. Thank you very much. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I really, really enjoyed talking to Marcel and found it uh, a fascinating interview, and uh, enjoyed hearing his perspectives on training. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode on scientifictriathlon.com and I will link to related episodes there as well. On Thursday, we have another Q&A episode coming out as usual. So stay subscribed so you don't miss anything. And next Monday, I interview coach Mark Pierce from the UK 
in a training talk format so we get into all sorts of different topics relevant for triathlon or endurance training but some examples that i found really interesting were periodization interval training and heat adaptation and mark has a background as uh, the british uh, triathlon uh, olympic team coach for from two olympics and uh, sorry olympic team physiologist for two olympics and then he also went to the london olympics as a coach so he has a long background in high-performance sports, including those three Olympics. Definitely somebody that you should uh, listen to and uh, come back next Monday for that. If you're looking for training plans or coaching services, uh, you should check out scientifictriathlon.com. Uh, we have uh, both ready-made training plans, customized plans, and individual coaching. So something for every budget and every set of objectives, depending on how ambitious you are. Uh, go and read more about that and uh, send me an email if you have any questions and want to uh, to learn more about any of those uh, products or services. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy for your training and racing and get 15% off your order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Go and check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft.